Let's pray, and we're going to get into the Word today. Are you thankful for God's Word? Are you thankful for Scripture? Just bow your head with me, and let's pray. Father, we thank you for your Word today. We thank you that it's alive, it's active, it's powerful, has the ability to transform us from the inside out. And so, God, right now, we just uh, breathe in deep your presence. Come on, would you just pause everything outside of here for just a moment? The to-do list and the, the drama. Would you pause the workplace? Maybe some of you need to turn your notifications off right now. There's only one notification that we need this morning. So God, we pause our hearts, our minds, and we just open them to you. We ask that you would move in this place. Speak to us now through your word, in Jesus' mighty name, and everybody said, amen. amen. Acts chapter 1, verses 1 to 8, is where we're going to find ourselves this morning. Acts chapter 1, verses 1 to 8, and it says this, I wrote the first narrative, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up. After he had given instructions through the Holy Spirit, every shout Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. And after he had suffered, he also presented himself alive to them by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while he was with them, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the Father's promise. Everybody shout promise. Which he said, you have heard me speak about. So he's referencing Jesus has been speaking about this promise all throughout his ministry. We know that this promise has been spoken about in the Old Testament as well. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit in a few days. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, are you restoring the kingdom of Israel at this time? We're about to see savage Jesus. And he said to them, it's not for you to know times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all of Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Today, as we begin our series, Floodgates, I want to speak to you from this subject this morning. If you're taking notes, write this down. I want to speak to you from the subject, the prologue to an outpouring. The prologue to an outpouring. As we look at the outpouring of God's Spirit and its necessity for spiritual formation in our lives. How many of you were here last week? Show of hands. How many of you were here last week? How many of you, okay, thank you, put your hands up. How many of you, if you weren't here last week, caught the message from last week in Vision Sunday on YouTube? So you're kind of at least caught up. Okay, some of you. Um, last weekend we spoke about uh, vision for 2023 and the whole concept around our vision here at the well for this next year is to lead all of us in a pretty strong process of spiritual formation. Y'all remember that? And uh, I just want to kind of, help all of us understand practically how this is going to flesh itself out. Everything that I spoke about in regards to spiritual formation last weekend, every series, every message that we do this year is all going to be with that, with that gasoline on it. Everything that we do as a church this year is going to be built around the idea of spiritual formation. Does that sound good? So we, we're going to grow. We're, we're going we're gonna to expand. Uh, we're going uh, to enlarge the territory of our heart. Our minds are going to get stronger. Our, our souls are going to get more robust. Our heart is going to grow. We're going to be able to face the things that are in front of us in life and in faith. Come on, we're going to be the people that God has called us to be in Jesus' name. All right? But we've got to start somewhere. 
And there's an important place to start when it comes to this issue of spiritual formation. Uh, I, read a, I read a lot of books. Um, I'm a pretty avid reader, pretty fast reader. It's one of the things that we really put into, uh, into play in our lives at the, at the outset of 2020. And so uh, I, lo- I love reading all kinds of different uh, genres, leadership, theology, research, and thought. I'm not a big fiction guy, uh, but, but I definitely love, love to read books. They're everywhere in our house, our office, in our backpacks. Like, I-, I love reading. But Eric and I have a very different way that we read. Um, she makes fun of me a lot because I read, and I don't know how many of you are there with me, but I read everything in the book. Okay. Like, I, I read, the, I, I read the, the prologue especially, right? The, the introduction. And some people are like, why do you read that? Just skip that. Get to the point. And I'm like, and, and here's, my, here's my theory behind it. The, how many of you agree with me? The prologue's important, yeah. right? Yeah. Told you, babe. Um, <laughs> she's going she's gonna to preach again soon, and then she's going to get the opportunity. <laughs> The, the, the prologue's important. Starting with the prologue is important. And, and I believe that the prologue is essential because it sets the tone. And it helps us understand what the author is after. Now, this is going to be, become more clear in, in a moment as we're introduced uh, a bit deeper to Theophilus. So I want to ask us a question before we get into it today. Big question. Everybody look at me when I ask this question. What do you think you need? <laughs> I know, some of you are like, I wasn't ready for existential this morning. <laughs> what do you think you need? I know, it, it's a massive question with many possibilities. It's like asking what your top favorite movies are ever. Right? How many of you are like me? You're like, well, are we talking comedy? Are we talking drama? Are we talking action, suspense, documentary? Let's get more specific. What's, what's my top five favorite movie? See, to assess what I need means I have to actually stop and think for a second. Is what I need more along the lines of what I want? Do I actually have a need? I mean, I always need more, I guess. Does need mean desire? Or are we talking practical and tangible? Am I defining that need, or is that need being defined by somebody else? Do I really need anything? As I said, I know, a big and, and somewhat nuanced question, or is it? Is there a universal need? Something that all of us, no matter who we are, where we come from, what we have or do not have, is there something more universal to all of us that we actually need? I want to I submit to us today that we're not as different from each other as we think that we are. And that often, the way that we define a need is actually what separates us as a people. Think about that for a second. I actually believe that there's a more universal need. We could come up with practical things, material things, relational things. We have bills and basic needs like food and water and safety and a roof over our heads. So, so yeah, we need things. But again, does that, does that really answer the question to the deeper need, the deeper reality of what you and I actually need? Presbyterian pastor said it like this, the greatest longing in the church today, stated both directly and indirectly, is the quest for something more than dull religion. People are in need of the intimacy, inspiration, and impelling power of the Holy Spirit. 
Answering that cry is the key to church renewal and prophetic preaching and teaching. Listen to what he says. It is impossible to live the Christian life without the indwelling of the Spirit. Courageous discipleship in the crisis of society cannot be accomplished without the guidance and enabling energy of supernatural power. The church today, like the disciples in the upper room, is waiting on the edge of a miracle. I want to submit to us today that what we actually need, what we really need, the deepest longing, whether you realize it or not, in each of our lives is not stuff and things and more money and a better job and a better position and a better family and a better boyfriend or a better girlfriend or a better social media account. It's none of those things. The thing that you and I actually need, if I could be so bold to tell you this morning, this, is you and I need the Holy Spirit. Y'all with me this morning? Now, I know in this room there's a lot of people nodding and saying yes and saying, come on, and I like it. Preach at the preacher. That's fine. Some of us in the room don't believe it. I hope that through the rest of this message today that I can convince you more so than anything that the Holy Spirit would begin to move in your heart because I want to contend this morning that the thing that we need to actually live the life that God has for us is not more stuff and things, but it is a robust and interactive life with the Holy Spirit. That's what this whole series, Floodgates, is about. Understanding the necessity of the Holy Spirit in our lives and the subsequent empowerment needed in the process of spiritual formation in our lives. See, some of us in here today might have had an idea or or a preconceived idea what this series was going to be about based upon the title, Floodgates. We're going in a very different direction. This series is not about stuff and things. This series is about experiencing and being formed by the power and empowerment of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So let's rewind for a moment. Who is Theophilus and why is he important? It's an essential thing that we understand who Luke was writing to. Luke is the author of both Luke and Acts as he penned this work known as Acts. The recipient of this letter was the same one that we are introduced at the beginning of Luke's first work, the gospel known as Luke. Luke chapter 1, verses 1 to 4, listen to this. Many have undertaken to compile a narrative about the events that have been fulfilled among us, just as the original eyewitnesses and servants of the word handed them down to us. So it seemed good to me, since I have carefully investigated everything from the very first, to write to you in an orderly sequence, most honorable Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things about which you have been instructed. See, Luke's first writing, the Gospel of Luke, was written to a man named Theophilus, and the purpose for that writing is clearly stated. First, to have an orderly sequence of events concerning Jesus. It's important to know what Jesus has done. Second, to have certainty of the truths concerning Jesus. And then thirdly, to continue to support the instruction. Every shout, instruction. Because that's going to be an important word in a moment. Is it all right if we teach like this today? to continue to support the instruction being given by and about Jesus. Now, this is what we know about Theophilus. More than likely, he was a high-ranking official in a political or governmental capacity because of how Luke addressed him in the opening of his writing in Luke. The term honorable was usually used to address someone operating in such a way. Other than that, we don't have many details as to who this person was. However, there is one more word that is used to describe Theophilus, and this is, this is the word. At the very end, verse 4, it says, So that you may know the certainty of the things about which you have been instructed. So this word about Theophilus is this term 
instructed. The Greek word employed here is the word kacheo. Okay? The words that you and I would be more familiar with are words that were derived from this Greek word, and they are the words catechism or catechist. How many of you recognize those words? Depending on your backdrop, some of you are more familiar than others. We get a more precise definition from the International Standard Bible Encyclopedia. Listen to how they define this. A catechist is a teacher who instructs pupils in the elements of his or own religion. In the Old Testament, the catechist teaches the rudiments of Old Testament truth. In the New Testament, the principles of the Christian faith. A catechumen is one who the catechist instructs or catechizes, listen to this, in preparation for the ceremony of baptism. This is important. In his first work, Luke teaches or catechizes Theophilus in the way of Jesus. As we read Acts, Luke catechizes Theophilus in the way of the Holy Spirit. And the great empowerment given to the people of God in his church for the continuation of God's great redemptive plan. Jesus would work with the disciples to catechism, to catechize them in the way of the Holy Spirit as well. He was getting them ready for a baptismal ceremony. Y'all tracking with me? That's why he says, hey, I'm about to go, but the the power that I'm going to give you, the gift that I'm going to give you, the promise that's about to be fulfilled is a new baptism. It's a baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, I know some of us, I can feel the tension start to mount in the room because some of us are a little bit with the Holy Spirit, right? Let's go old school, Holy Ghost, and some of us cringe at that, right? (laughs) And some of us are like, yeah, let's go, right? Holy Ghost, Holy Spirit, Spirit of God. We have all of these terms that can, that can get a bit, they can, they're jarring for us sometimes. Why? Well, because we live in such a modern world that has progressed philosophically that we've almost ousted any supernatural reality of our faith. Right? Erica's talking about Generation Z. There's lots of Barna studies and other studies that have concluded that one of the most spiritually and supernaturally open generations that we've ever seen is actually this next generation. Here's the problem. They're open to all spiritual realities. Right? God did not promise us a chakra. He, he, did, right? he didn't promise us good vibes. Right? Could you imagine if that was it? I leave you, disciples. Good vibes. He didn't promise us an alignment of the stars or universes. He said, I promise you one thing. I'm leaving with you one thing. I'm leaving with you one supernatural experience, and that is the experience with the Holy Spirit. Come on, somebody. Is anybody thankful? And so he, he catechizes us in this were catechized, the disciples were catechized in the outpouring of the Holy Spirit to be made ready for this baptismal, which is most needed to pursue the life of faith. Sorry, this side's getting my back too much. I got to sit over here and do this. (laughs) Which is most needed to pursue the life of faith that Jesus has instructed us to live out. 
You see, many of us have been educated in the things Jesus did and the way that he has called us to live, but we know nothing of the tremendous indwelling power that resides in us as his spirit works to enable us for the life of faith that we've been called to live out. We've been given the Holy Spirit because Jesus actually wants us to live out what he taught us to live out. Can I be so blunt this morning? To be formed in his way. Here's the truth I want you to write down today if you're taking notes, and this is just going to be straightforward and strong today. Spiritual formation is only possible where, is there, where there is the empowerment of the Spirit. Did you hear that? Spiritual formation is only possible where there is the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Otherwise, it's just behavior modification. It's just self-discipline. And we cannot self-discipline our, our self past the strength of our flesh. That is why when Paul speaks to us about the gifts of the Spirit, it's really important to recognize the last one that we have a tendency to gloss over. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and what? Self-control. Self Notice that it's a fruit of the Spirit, not a fruit of our self-determination. Self-discipline is only actually possible by the empowerment of the Spirit. Otherwise, we're fighting against something that is stronger than us. That's why Paul would talk about this battle between flesh and spirit, flesh and spirit, flesh and spirit. And here's the problem is that many of us have forcefully tried to live out the Christian life with Christian self-discipline versus spirit-empowered self-discipline. And there's a vast difference. Y'all see what I'm talking about? This idea is captured by the writers of the preacher's commentary as they write this. That's the miracle of Pentecost, they say. 120 frightened, impotent, self-centered, willful, and discouraged men and women were transformed into new creatures. They were infused with supernatural power intellectually, emotionally, volitionally, and physically. In the Greek, the words miracle and power come from the same root. To be made new is a miracle. To be made powerful in the Holy Spirit is a, is a miracle. Come on, how many, how many of you would actually realize this? To actually be able to assess forgiveness to people is a miracle only of God. Because in our own humanity, we won't and don't want to. That's what's funny about the world that we're living right now, is everybody's clamoring for everybody to love everybody. But they want to do it without the empowerment of the Spirit. I can tell you right now that the love that the world is looking for, the peace that the love is looking for, the joy that the world is looking for is not found in our own human right. It is only found by the power and empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Come on, is anybody with me this morning? Preacher's commentary goes on to write this. They say this, the Spirit invaded every facet, function, and facility of their nature. I just love that part because they use a lot of F's together. <laughs> Facet, function, facility. Let's go. It's a preacher's dream sentence right there. Listen to Paul on the matter in 1 Corinthians 2, 10 through 16. He says, now God has revealed these things to us by the what? Spirit. Since the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except his spirit within him? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now, we've not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit who comes from God. So that, why? 
so that we may understand what has been freely given to us by God. We also speak these things not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual things to spiritual people. But the person without the Spirit does not receive what comes from God's Spirit because it's foolishness to him. He is not able to understand it since it's evaluated spiritually. Think about this. The spiritual person, however, can evaluate everything, and yet he himself cannot be evaluated by anyone. For who has known the Lord's mind that they may instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ. In other words, many of us are trying to figure out the life that we're living in Christ with an unspiritual mindset. Because we have not engaged the power that lies in many of us dormant in and through the Holy Spirit. Y'all tracking with me so far? This is where spiritual formation begins. The Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, is necessary for the instruction in formation. You and I will not be spiritually formed without the Holy Spirit. I don't care how many books you read. I don't care how many behaviors you engage in. And here's the thing. We can read our Bibles, not spirit-led. We can pray, not spirit-led. We can worship not spirit-led. And then we wonder why I didn't get anything. Well, because I'm not evaluating it spiritually. But to be, worship, to be worshiping spirit-led, to be praying spirit-led, to, to engage with God's word spirit-led. Y'all with me? This is why some of us like get a little bit confused sometimes when you ever heard somebody say, I'm just going to pick up some things right now. You ever heard anybody say, like, God told me, Right? But what God told them was different than God's word? You ever been, you ever been there before? I, I've said it before as well. Like, God never reveals anything or says anything that's contrary to his word. Y'all, y'all see what I'm talking about? God's word is God's word. So he's not going to tell us different. So a lot of times we actually weren't hearing from the spirit. We were just, we were just hearing from my good idea. Stop touching my stuff, Pastor. This is what it meant for Theophilus to be instructed. And this is what it means for you and I to be instructed. See, the truth is that the floodgates of heaven, now, now, now check this out. This is really important for us to understand, and then we're going to get to the practical and close this, close this out for the day. Um, many of us are waiting on an empowerment that's already come. You ever, if, you, if you've been around like church long enough, the nomenclature, especially, especially for Christians, this is really interesting. And uh, I know that there's multiple groups in this room today. There's those of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus. We've been for a while. There's some of us kicking the tires on faith. And, and there's somebody here because they convinced you you were going to a different place this morning. And so, um, so I, I, for all of us, I'm glad that we're here. But have you, ever, have you ever noticed that some of the nomenclature that can take place in church sometimes is this idea that we're, we're waiting for the Spirit to do something? We pray for revival as if it's never taken place. We pray for an outpouring, for God to open up the floodgates of heaven and pour out his spirit. We pray for it in a way, we ask for it in a way like it's never happened. The problem is, is it's already happened. We're just ignoring it. 
See, we're not waiting for something that is yet to happen or something that is in the distant future. The miracle many of us need and are waiting on is a miracle that has already taken place. We just haven't allowed him to flow in our lives. Pastor Howie's with me. He's shaking his head. He's with me. <laughs> not, not shaking, nodding, right. So with the remainder of our time today, I want to I take a look at a few truths that are vital for us to understand when it comes to the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Um, what it means for us today and, and what we're waiting on is not actually what we think we're waiting on. We're not waiting for the Spirit to come. He's already come. I might actually venture out to say what we're waiting on is for ourselves to engage with him. But more specifically, what I really want to dial into with with this conversation today is the necessity of the Holy Spirit for our spiritual formation. And again, like I said, we're we're, we're leaking this out. So today's kind of more introductory in nature, and then we'll we'll continue to dive a little bit deeper over the next few weeks. Does that sound good with everybody? All right. So this is, the, this is the prologues to an outpouring. Prologue to the, to the reformation that God wants to do in all of our hearts and lives. Need your help today, every shot number one? Here's the first thing I want us to, to grab a hold of today, first truth. The outpouring of the Spirit is the inauguration of a promise. The outpouring of the Spirit is the inauguration of a promise. Acts chapter 2, verses 17 to 21. Now, Acts chapter 1 is amazing. So we read this moment. Luke is, is corresponding to Theophilus. Theophilus is understanding this, and then he's about to hear what happens. And the Bible tells us that all the disciples that were around Jesus and many others that are unnamed were up in this upper room, about 120 people. Uh, that was a dinner party that would be interesting to be at. Okay? And think about this. I, I, we sanitize Scripture so much. Can we all just agree? Agree with me right now that these people were humans. Four of you agreed with that. All right. Can we all agree that the disciples, this is not sacrilegious, the disciples were humans. They did stupid things, right? So think about this. They're all going to hop into an upper room with each other, okay? It says that, that uh, uh, Jesus' mother was there, Peter was there. How'd that showdown go? Could you imagine seeing him for the first time? The dude who denied Jesus? The guys up there who were debating just before it all ended who was more important in the friendship ladder? Think about this. Guys who scattered and went back to fishing boats the minute that Jesus was dead. Imagine that dinner party. How many degrees? There's probably some tension in that room. Oh, great. Peter's here. And no doubt, he probably forgot the appetizer. Because he forgot Jesus. Man, I want to be a fly on that wall. What's going on in that room? Or is it quite possible something else was going on in that room? See, Jesus had gotten with Peter, restored the relationship. Now they're in a room together. I I wonder, just reading between the lines, if there was other restoration taking place up there. Doubt being assaged and fear and anger and, and it all calming down because of what then takes place. It says that they were all in, in, in one place, together, in unison, and then the Holy Spirit fell as promised. And here's a beautiful truth to it, is that no matter how dysfunctional you and I are, God is who God is, so he will always come through on his promise. That's what's important about this. All of these broken individuals sitting in an upper room together, and boom, the Holy Spirit falls. Yeah. 
That's why, that's what I love about church is all of us are broken individuals in here. We've messed up in some way. We'll continue to mess up, but we can still be in unison with one mind and one heart. We can pray and worship like we did this morning. The Holy Spirit falls. Come on, somebody. Now, when all this happens, people in the, in the sidelines, they hear what's going on. The Bible tells us they were speaking in different tongues. We'll clarify that over this series. But in this moment, it tells us they were speaking tongues that were understood by people who spoke other languages. So this wasn't necessarily a heavenly language as much as that these disciples were given the utterance to speak other languages that they didn't know they were understood. You can read that in Scripture right here in Acts. So Peter, the messed up, denied Jesus, chopping people's ears off Peter, stands up in Acts 2, verse 17, and says this, in order to make sure everybody, because their, their accusation, the people's accusation was like, these guys are drunk. And Peter's like, no, it's the morning. We're not that wild and out. And so then he starts to preach, and he says this, and it will be in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all people. Then your sons and your daughters will prophesy, your young men will see visions, and your old men will dream dreams. I will even pour out my spirit on my servants in those days, both men and women, and they will prophesy. I will display wonders in the heaven above and signs on the earth below. Blood and fire and a cloud of smoke, the sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and glorious day of the Lord comes. Then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So Peter's quoting an Old Testament prophecy found in the book of Joel. And this is, this is what I want us to hear about. This is Peter's moment to say this that's happening right now is that that was promised to us. This is that. This is, this is that. I remember when we took our kids to Disneyland for the first time and we kept a secret from them. And we showed up to Disneyland, and, and they, hadn't, they, hadn't known the, they hadn't known the secret. They didn't know the details. And then we show up, and they're, they're, they're wide-eyed. They're like, oh, my goodness, what is going on? And we said, remember that thing we were hiding from you? Remember that thing that we were kind of keeping the details a little suspect, and you didn't know what was going on, and, and mom and dad were acting a little weird because we didn't want you to, to understand the surprise. And you know when we said no to, like, every toy that you wanted because this is going to make us poor? This is, this is that. Come on, parents, how many of you know what I'm talking about, right? You give your retirement to Disneyland. This is that. That's what Peter was saying. He's like, remember that, that time in the Old Testament when Joel got up and he said that in the last days, God's going to pour out his spirit? This is that. You remember that time that he said you're going to be empowered and you're going to prophesy and you're going to have power for life and faith? This is that. This is that moment. Come on, this is that place. I love what theologian Wilbur Smith said. He said, a revival which does not rest solidly upon the word of God will ultimately either fade out because there is no foundation of driving truth continually refreshing it, or it will turn into dangerous and sensational emotionalism, which after it has passed will make those who have been the subjects of such an experience dry and indifferent to the things of God, at times more easily accessible than ever to the inroads of Satan himself. There is something about the word of God that men recognize as driving. When it is preached, men know that they are hearing the word of God and nothing less will ever arouse a nation sunk in selfish, selfishness, self-satisfaction, and godlessness. See, what I want us to see is that the outpouring of the Spirit is the inauguration of a promise, and this promise is in God's word. 
It's a fulfillment of his word. But the outpouring of the spirit has to be understood by his word. Otherwise, it turns into strange emotionalism and, and, and weird behaviors. And some of us have been hurt by that. Can we speak real in church today? Some of us have been, have been injured in church life because of this. Some of us have stayed away because of this. Now listen, I just want to say as your pastor today, like it's not my job to restrain the Holy Spirit. I'm not going to do that. That's dangerous ground to stand on. But I will consistently preach the word of God so that we understand how the Spirit works in our lives. Okay? You see, the outpouring of the Spirit is more than just a physical or spiritual or supernatural moment. Because I have, I have multiple points. I'm not going to get to them today. This is ridiculous. Um, <laughs> golly. Oh, horrible. Um, <laughs> so we're going to continue this conversation next week. I'm going I'm to finish out this point. Come back. Uh, that'll... <laughs> is that all right if we do <laughs> just... The outpouring of the Spirit is more than just a physical or spiritual or supernatural moment. The outpouring of the Spirit, check this out, is actually a declaration that God is faithful to his word. That's actually what the the outpouring of the Spirit is. When the Holy Spirit fell in Acts chapter 2, it was God saying, just so you all know, I'm faithful to my word. Here's what's interesting is that many of us want a physical experience with the Holy Spirit. Instead of under, understanding the grand totality that has taken place because he said, I am faithful to what I said. And when we understand what he said, my life changes. It's so much bigger than I feel the feels. His word never returns void. That's, that's what the Holy Spirit gives us. He above all can be trusted. Just going to bite the team up or whoever's coming up. <laughs> here's, the, here's the posture. Some of you will be like, he's weird this morning. Um, it's the posture of my heart today, to be very honest with you. I really want us to grab a hold of this and understand this. I, I don't want to be fast or flippant. Um, I don't want to say words that don't need to be said. I want to say everything that needs to be said. So I'm really trying to lean into just where the Spirit of God would lead me with this message today. I'm trying to be um, surgical. Is that all right? I, I, we're going we're gonna to set out on a journey this year to, to become in Jesus. And my great concern in that process and in that journey is that we try to do it without his presence and his spirit. And so you'll get to the end of 2023, and it'll all be for naught, because all we did was exercise grand willpower for a couple weeks. And then we give up, and we're frustrated. God has given us the power for overcoming. Now, I know, some some of you old school church people in here are like, right now, come on, just pray it out. Let's go. Let's get it. We're not going to today. Because I want to teach us some more. Come on. Come 
Because I believe that there's this beautiful interaction that takes place when my, when my mind understands something, my heart understands something, I can get to the place where I, I, I actually open myself to the Holy Spirit. Now, for some of us, we're Christians, and I want to tell you this, that my personal theological and doctrinal belief is, is that when you say yes to Jesus, the Spirit of God dwells in you upon salvation, but you still have to access him. And for some of us can't experience the Holy Spirit because we've yet to give our life to Jesus. Now, here's, here's the beautiful part. You can be around the Holy Spirit, though. That's why I get feeling conversation a lot. Oh, I, I, I felt something today. Yeah, that's the Holy Spirit. It's like being around good food. <laughs> right? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> What's that? It's always meat. It's never vegetables. <laughs> Come on. Can I get an amen at church today? Vegetables never smell good. All right? <laughs> Okay, where's the scripture? Ephesians 1, 13 to 14 says this. In him, you were also sealed. In him, you were also sealed with the promised Holy Spirit when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and when you believed. The Holy Spirit working in you is the sealing that happens when we say yes to Jesus. Listen to this. This, It gets even better. I love this next part. The Holy Spirit is the down payment of our inheritance until the redemption of the possession to the praise of his glory. It's the down payment. So bad. I want to just get up and start preaching right now. The down payment. This is my The promise is mine. The freedom is mine. Glory in heaven is mine. The healing of my body is mine. The power to overcome is mine. That's what he says. It's the down payment. The spirit working in It's the down payment. And while we have not experienced all the things of heaven, to have access to the Holy Spirit by way of Jesus and the saving faith that we put in him is for us to be able to go, I can experience heaven right now. It's mine. It's the down payment. It's here and not yet. Some of us have been waiting so long for the freedom that's already there. Waiting so long for the confusion to to lift. The power's already there. The question is, is am I going to grab a hold of the things of the spirit or am I going to grab a hold of the things of the flesh? Open the windows of heaven. And let it rain. Jesus, right now I pray over this beautiful church that you'd pour out your spirit right now on all flesh, 
on men and women. God, I pray that as your spirit starts operating in us, God, we'd find the freedom that we have access to. Your presence is not distant. It's your spirit in us. With every head bowed and every eye closed and no one looking around, I want to ask a question to some of us in here today. Have you said yes to Jesus? Because for some of us, this is where it begins. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, today you might be saying, man, I, I need to say yes to this Jesus. He's faithful to his promises. He walks with you. He empowers you. So we're all going to do it together. We don't leave anybody out. But if today you'd be saying, man, that's me. That I, I, I want to say yes to Jesus. Pray this prayer with us today. Come on, as loud as you can. Would you all just repeat this after me? Everybody say, Jesus, I'm giving you everything. I'm giving you my past. I'm giving you my right now. I'm putting my future in your hands. Save me. Change me. Make me new. And I declare in this moment that I'm going to follow you all the days of my life. Today, I'm repenting. I'm turning from my ways. And I'm following your ways by saying yes to you. Save me, Jesus. I give you my life. In Jesus' name.